This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Ann, and this is Safe Space, a live show devoted to subjects that are hard to talk about because they make us feel vulnerable, afraid, ashamed, or just really uncomfortable. And yet they're all subjects that we have a lot of feelings about. Tonight is the second in a series on struggling with feelings of failure. My guest tonight is Dr. Mona Barbera, and we're going to be speaking about the legacy of divorce. Dr. Mona Barbera is a couples therapist and a couples workshop leader. She was chosen for a research study on the 10 best couples therapists in the United States. She's the author of an award-winning book, Bring Yourself to Love, How Couples Can Turn Disconnection into Intimacy. Dr. Mona Barbera has appeared on numerous television shows, over 100 radio shows, so she's a pro. And she's also been quoted in multiple different magazines. Dr. Mona, welcome to Safe Space. Thanks, Anne. So glad to have you. So I wanted to start out by asking you if you would tell the story of what happened to you. What was the story of your divorce? Okay. Um, I think I want to say first that it's very different for me to be speaking personally instead of speaking as the expert. Yeah. And it makes me a little nervous. And yet, it's just about the easiest thing I could talk about because I know my own story. So uh, I am both nervous and, and glad to be speaking with you tonight. And I really appreciate your willingness to speak personally. I think it's so easy to stay in the expert chair and not make yourself vulnerable, and I, I'm grateful to you for that. Thank you. I I get the space that you are creating with this show, and I'm very honored to participate. Mm. So divorce for me was quite a long time ago, and I'm now remarried uh, for 17 years, but I do remember it. And the thing that stands out for me the most is that the effects of the divorce were not immediately noticeable or conscious for me. I pretty much thought I was okay. Mm. It was pretty much my choice. And I kind of just went on my merry way. But the effects were there underneath the surface, and they really got me after a while. And maybe you, what kind of effects are you talking about? Well, one of the effects was it affected uh, my sense of being open to experience and I noticed after a while a guardedness in me that even uh, even affected me as a sexual being. And I looked at myself and it was like, wow, this is not who I am. All of a sudden I've got this guardedness. And I had no idea that uh, when I was in the process of divorce or shortly thereafter that it was going to hit me on such a cellular level. Mm. I, I even... Uh, well, this is sort of going into another part of it, but at one point it even got into a disease process for me, for which there is a very happy ending, but it, it did go that far, affecting me as a physical being. So you're saying that maybe your stress level, or there was such intensity about it for you that you got sick. Yeah, and I didn't know it. The funny thing was that I didn't know it. Like, I just went about, you know, dating and being single and and starting a new life and not even feeling that much grief. I actually didn't feel the grief until the breakup 
of my first significant post-divorce relationship. Tell me about that. How did that happen? Well, I, I I landed with somebody that I really liked, and it ended about after about six or seven months, and all of the grief, this is the way, I, first I'll tell you the way I think about it, because it's almost a little safer okay. to talk about my thoughts and my feelings first. Sure. Um, the way I think about it is is that all of the grief from the loss of the marriage was put on hold, and then it all came out when this first relationship ended, and I was struck so hard by it that it was sort of like a, a moderate depression where basically all I could do was work and come home. And and that's when the disease, the disease happened, too, was out of that process. And did you, when you talk about sort of the, almost this way that you didn't even know what you were feeling until it really hit you after the second loss, when you were, when you were feeling down, were you grieving that, that new relationship or were you really grieving the, mar- the loss of the marriage at that point? Consciously, I was grieving the shock and the suddenness and the loss of the new relationship, uh-huh. but I am now sure that it was a combination of that and the divorce. And when you look back, how do you understand the fact that in some ways the depths of your feelings were so inapparent to you? How do you make sense of that? You know, that's an interesting question, and I think I'm going to try and make sense of it right in this moment now with you. (laughs) Okay. Um, I tend to be a doer and Uh an achiever and a going-forward person, and I tend not to be so much in my body. I learned um, in in childhood that sometimes it was safer for me not to be, not to feel so much. It was kind of a refuge not to feel so much. Yeah. Uh, So I'm thinking now that I just did my habitual pattern, which is go forward, do things, achieve things, date, put on the red high heels. (laughs) (laughs) So I've still got these little corns on my feet from those red high heels. There was a book out for singles at that time which had a red high heel on the cover, and I was like, okay, that's what it takes to be single. I'm putting on the red high heels. (laughs) 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 Yeah, so anyway, it took a while for it to filter into the old body. And when it did, it hit me with a vengeance. I got Graves' disease, which is an autoimmune disease. Yeah, of your um, thyroid. A thyroid, right. And I'm, uh, there is some research that is it's stress-related, and I do believe it came out of that grief process and the stress of the ending of the second relationship. And it didn't get healed until the story turns, and, and that's if, when, we, when we get to the point about the story turning to the good side, I can tell you more about that. Okay, great. But there's more about the dating, if you want to hear more about that. Oh, I that. do, I do. I mean, so many people that I talk to who are wondering if divorce is right for them talk about the fear of being single and having to date again and all of the uncertainty and vulnerability of that and loneliness of it. And I'd love to hear about your experience of that. Well, I was in my 30s, so I was still hoping to have children because I hadn't had them with my husband. So there was desperation, and there was the shopping list. 
thinking that I was looking for this quality, that quality, this quality, and on the other side of the sheet, I wasn't looking for this, that, and the other thing, which was a complete trap, and I did find a way out of that. And then the other thing that I, when I think back on it now, was that my standards were, like, so low. Like, before the divorce, like, before I got married, I I felt like a a worthy woman, like, that I was attractive and guys were going to want me and I could pick and choose and I could evaluate. And that kind of went away after the divorce, and I kind of took whoever wanted me. Right. And lost this sense that I could say no and I could choose. Nothing bad happened, but I sure didn't feel like a, a confident woman. Right, so it shook your sense of being desirable in in some way. Yeah, it, viscerally, I, I wasn't even aware of it. It was it, like it just snuck up on my uh, snuck up on me, and there I was acting this way, which was so unmona like. Right, right, and even if you knew it was unmona like, could you? It was hard to get out of it. At the time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like wearing a sticky coat that I couldn't get off. Oh, right. So did you find yourself dating people that you would never have touched with a 10-foot pole before? Yeah, I think so. And were, yeah. the, were those miserable dates? Um, I, I really think I was fortunate in that I didn't have that much misery. Just like a lot of stuff is like, what's the point? Right. <laughs> Why am I wasting my time here? <laughs> right. Yes. So you spoke about, you said when there was desperation because you wanted children, you were in your 30s, mm-hmm. you weren't sure. Mm-hmm. Was that, how much was that driving you in terms of wanting to just make yourself get out there and date somebody almost no matter what? Did it, Did you feel like that at times? Totally. Yeah. yeah, it was just like I would go to a party and I would be with another woman who would look around and say, there's nothing here for me. And I would have to find one person that was at least halfway interesting to me. And like I had to have to find that one person because I was out there looking for somebody. Yeah. And did you consider, you know, finding sperm some other way? I, I finally, I finally shifted. And... The shift for me was getting away from the shopping list and into being aware of the experience that I wanted when I was with somebody. Say more what you mean by that. Well, getting away from the characteristics that the other person needed to have to the experience that I wanted to have inside me when I was with someone. Mm, And what experience did you want inside you? Well, I wanted this feeling of being held, of being warmly held. And I decided that I was going to notice when and with whom I had that feeling during the day, regardless of whether it was man, woman, available, unavailable, child, adult, elderly person. I was just going to pay attention to myself when I felt warmly held. And you mean that I'm I'm sensing not just in a physical way, but in a kind of emotional, totally almost symbolic way. Yeah. When I felt, felt emotionally welcomed, when I felt this sort of like sigh of hmm. good feeling inside my body that I was being, I was having an emotional interchange with someone. So that was your, that became your litmus test. Yes. And I was, when I finally got onto it, I was quite disciplined with it since as I've mentioned, I have this habitual pattern of doing things. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I went to this um, workshop, this like personal growth workshop, to look for guys, of course, because I was on a mission to look for guys. Right. 
but I was I I was now looking for them in the way that I was noticing how I felt when I was with them instead mm. of checking off what they had or didn't have. And right. I, I walked into I sat down in this workshop and the assistants walked in. There were about nine of them and they were walking up to the stage just to be introduced and say their name. And I noticed one of them and I looked at him and even without talking to him, I knew that he gave me that feeling that I wanted. I see. So you hadn't even met him, but you had a feeling of being held. Yes. Just from the way he walked and the way he's, he made eye contact, the way he spoke about himself, I, I just got that feeling. So mm. I decided that I would use that person as an, as an image for my visualization because I decided I was going to visualize myself having those kinds of interactions. And this, this was an attractive guy, but he was with somebody, so I wasn't going to go near that. I said, okay, I'm j- just because this person has these qualities, I'm going to visualize being with a person like that, using his face and, and seeing what the experience is like for me. How wonderful. So he became your prop, as it were, to help you mm-hmm. find that feeling again. Yep, and he is now my husband. Oh, (laughs) how interesting. I want to come right back to that. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Ann. This is Safe Space. And I'm talking to Dr. Mona Barbahara about the legacy of divorce. And we're right in the middle of finding out about how you met your next husband. And this is a very, very exciting story. So, of course, you have to tell me what happened. How did you get from there to, to here? Well, I I kept the visual visualization up, uh, using him at times and other people, but totally without attachment to him. And I would run into him through this um, uh, personal growth group, and he would be with somebody, I would be with somebody, would never really be both available. And at one point, we took a workshop together and got to be friends. And he was still with somebody. And after he broke up with the person, since we'd gotten to know each other a little bit, he called me for support. And we Mm -hmm. ended up becoming really, really good friends. Again, with no grasping, no attachment, no need for anything else. Just like really good friends. And when you say no grasping, no need for anything else, I mean, at the same time, you finished telling me a moment ago that you went to this group because you were on a mission. Mm-hmm. So how did you have, how did you hold inside yourself this on a missionness and this kind of non-grasping when he was already the object of your visualization? How did you manage that? Well, it, it was like weights and pulleys. Like, as I visualized more and became more aware of how I felt in the moment with people and when I felt emotionally connected and that good sigh feeling, the mission went down. Uh-huh. And I was I was being gratified every day by my interaction. So it wasn't like I was looking for anything I didn't have. I see. So there was so much kind of internal satisfaction from yeah. really kind of savoring that feeling of being emotionally held. Yeah. I wasn't coming from deprivation like I don't have a, a partner. I need a partner. I was coming more from I am experiencing this every day now. Some some days more than others. Some with more people with this people more with this person more with that person. So I was coming from a place of gratitude and fullness. That seems really essential to this story. 
Yeah, so there was no grasping when I got to be friends with this guy. It was just like, well, this is nice. And let me just ask you one last thing about that. So is this because, so you tuned into your sense of when you felt emotionally held, and then you noticed who gave you that in the world or not. And were you feeling so full and satisfied because you were spending more time now with people who gave you that, or because you were spending time internally just sitting with the experience of it that you'd had some other time? It's actually both. I was uh, was feeling satisfied in the moment during my day and also very proud of myself that I could tell when I was happy and when I wasn't happy so that I didn't have to like default to like pleaser mode or please like me mode or anything. I was so proud that, okay, I know when I feel good and I know when I don't feel good. And Mm. Oh, I forget the second thing that you said. I was uh, talking about sort of was it were you getting satisfied from the outside or from the inside in some both. ways? Absolutely. Yeah. Both. I was proud of myself. I liked myself for what I was doing. Yeah. And I was having a great time. Right. And so okay, so there you are. You're becoming friends. You're not feeling needy with him even though occasionally you are. I mean, did visualization become fantasy? It's hard to imagine that it wouldn't. No, to me fantasy is something is more like a trance state of desire and grasping and being carried away with dreams. This was a very conscious, um, I was always there. I didn't get carried away into anything. And I was visualizing where my soul wanted to go, basically, yeah. and, and where my being wanted to go so that I could have that experience in my body. It's really a wonderful story. So mm-hmm. then, so here you are. You and at some point, um, when did you? Wh- when did it move? I mean, who? Who? How did it become more than a friendship? I think we were dancing at a country music bar. I have this love of country music, uh-huh. and I actually um, went to this uh, country music bar they have in Boston to sing on amateur night. <laughs> so after I sang, we were dancing. And it sort of was the thump thump started to happening, and we we kind of both realized, wow, right? what do we have right here? So what I want to know is, (laughs) at what point did you tell him (laughs) that, in fact, you had been using him as, as this way to access that feeling that you really wanted to tune into internally? Um... You know, I don't even remember, and it wasn't even important, because uh-huh. it wasn't about him. It was about right. me. Even even though it sounds like I might have been using him to get him, I wasn't. It was all for me. I get that. I get that. He he was like a, a doorway to help you identify something very important that was about you. Yeah, and it broadened out to other situations very quickly, because I started to become more open to those situations and more discriminating for situations that didn't serve me. Yeah, so the question about standards really shifted. You know, you stopped. This is how you got out of that trap you were saying earlier about he has to be smart, he has to be funny, he can't, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. It became all about whether you had this experience with them or not. Yeah. Yeah. What the resonance was in my gut. Yes, yes. So I want to come back to this and to sort of how the legacy of divorce affected your relationship with him. But before we go to that, I do still want to just stay kind of back in the earlier, harder days, because I think that so many people struggle with that time, that initial post-divorce time. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, did you struggle too with comparing yourself to others who seem to be in happy marriages? Did you struggle with 
you know, what's wrong with me that I couldn't have that and sort of that kind of self-punishment? Let's see if I can reach back and give you a really honest answer. Um, Yes, I did. There was a lot of darkness. Mm -hmm. And did you have friends that had also been divorced that could understand that with you? I had such a great group of friends. It was absolutely wonderful. Divorced couples, single people, I had a wonderful group of friends around me. Mm-hmm. So that while you were alone in terms of a romance, you did not feel alone. No, you I could really not. tell people. Well, I, I managed to feel alone, even if even yes. with friends. I, I achieved that. You achieved that, yes. of course. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, it's a very hard thing to go from living with someone to living alone. Hard in ways that I, again, didn't even know consciously. And when you say that, what do you mean? Well, the guardedness that I had, um, the low self-esteem, which I had never had before, the the low standards, which I'd never had before, Mm -hmm. um, the gumption, the, the perkiness, it was all kind of subsumed by trying to please and grasp and get somebody to love me. Right. And then, of course, when we, when all of us go to that place, which we are all capable of, then we start hating how we're being and that it sort of feeds itself, I can imagine. Exactly. The internal struggle, hating myself for not having confidence. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Which hardly gives one confidence. <laughs> right, right. Right. Did you also struggle with um, how to trust your own judgment? I mean, it's clear that you got to a place of really knowing and trusting when someone gave you that feeling. But so often after after a divorce, I know people feel like, God, I you know, I thought this one was the one. How would I know again? How could I not make the same mistake? Uh, that was subsumed by, I think, my desperation, and th- it would be like throwing myself into things and then feeling awful afterward when they didn't work out. So I, I think I skipped that part. You skipped that part. <laughs> oh, good. I was just like careening. You know, from one thing to another, I didn't have time to even think about my judgment. Right. Well, you kept yourself very busy. Yeah. Yeah. I I can think of other people who I have been privileged to see go through that, not trusting their judgment. And when I think of them, I think of the beauty and the power of being able, able to say in the moment the little tendrils of awareness or questioning or confusion that you have with somebody and the tremendous empowerment of actually just saying those things. Mm-hmm. You know how you're saying you want to get together, but I'm getting a weird feeling. So trusting it, just re- that's how you start trusting yourself, naming yeah. what you're really experiencing in the moment. In the moment, instead of like second-guessing yourself afterward. Uh-huh. Takes guts to do that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a whole lot easier than sitting at home wondering what happened. Right, and why do I have this niggly feeling? Mm-hmm. So, so obviously, you at some point in here, you became a couples therapist. When did that happen, and, and how was it related to what you had come through yourself personally? Okay, this is related to the disease thing that I mentioned before, the yes. grave disease. Okay, so I, it, so things happen all at the same time. I... I the disease was finally diagnosed, and I was getting into a relationship with my now husband. 
And what I decided at that point was that I was going to make it about me, 100% about me, every single time I had an angry reaction or an intensely hurt reaction. And in my typical overachiever way, I did that religiously. Okay, and just to explain that, so you're not saying, oh, it's all about me like in some self-centered way. What you mean is, as I'm guessing here, is I'm going to take full responsibility and look at what, what's, how this is mine. Yes, when okay. it's intense, it's my own. And I made a deal with myself, and, and I, this had to do with curing myself from the disease, I think, was that every single time I felt intense anger, because I had been pretty angry in my marriage, and I can see now what my ex-husband was upset about. Every time I felt angry or deeply hurt, I was going to go inside myself and see what that was about. And so for two and a half years, I did that in my new relationship with the man who was going to become my husband. And he had the relaxing experience of never being wrong. Right, no kidding. <laughs> A most relaxing experience. <laughs> Which he no longer has, I might say. But right. at the time, I was resolute that I was going to do this. And I did it for my own health, uh, as well as for the relationship, because I felt that the disharmony that I had in my body was coming at least partly from the intensity of my anger and my hurt. So it's, it's, it's like a decision not to blame. Yes, exactly. And I, somewhere in my gut, I knew that that was going to contribute to my healing from the disease. And I have been in remission for 17 years now. Mm. None of my blood tests come off positive for a grave disease at all anymore. And I truly believe it is because of that experiment that I carried out. Okay, so it sounds like a really kind of provocative and exciting exper- experiment because, of course, in any conflict, some part of it is ours. And that is the only part we really have any control over. So why did you stop doing that? Okay, very interesting. So somewhere into the relationship, I started feeling, okay, enough of this. What about me? And then we started having a period of conflict for about two years where we could hardly plan a party or move a piece of furniture without getting scratchy and angry with each other. Yeah, And that's when I, start, I started studying couples therapy and learning to be a couples therapist because I was looking for something for myself. Right. So, okay, so just so I'm understanding, so you're, you, go in, you have this no blame, bring it all, bring all blames home kind of experiment. Mm-hmm. Then when you come out of that is when you went into that scratchy, angry phase? Yeah. Okay. By that time, we were in a committed relationship, not married yet, but we were seriously committed. So thank God the relationship could weather it. Yeah. But we had this wonderful two and a half years where he had the freedom not to be wrong, which for my husband is, is really a, a lovely experience for him not to feel like he's wrong oh, or well, bad. I would say that's probably pretty universal. I could safely say yeah. <laughs> almost anybody would enjoy that. I mean, I could imagine it was kind of a loss for him to lose that. I would imagine so as well. Yeah. Uh, but that two and a half years, I think, enabled him to make a commitment to me, which I, he might not have made otherwise. Because uh. this guy was 50 years old when he was married the first time to me. Uh-huh. So he had managed to not be committed for a very long time. I see. So um, when I the conflict started after I 
thought, well, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to speak up for myself. But I, yes. was, I was speaking up in ways that led to a lot of disharmony for myself and for him. I see. So then you start studying couples therapy, mm-hmm. both to help you, the two of you work through it, yes. but then also to um, give something back of what you'd learned, presumably. Yeah, yeah. To, well, it was partly to give something back, and because I had such a passion to help people find love. Yeah, I, I just love when people fall in love with each other and stay in love and get through the rocky times. And so, you know, we only have just a moment left. But what did studying to be a couples therapist? I mean, what did that most give you in terms of coming out of that phase? I actually got back to where I started. That it's all about giving better back than you get. Giving better back than you get. Can you, mm-hmm. can you say what you mean by that in just one or two sentences? Being more calm, clear, courageous, and connected than you feel like you're getting. Just making a decision to do that. Mm-hmm. To give before you get. Wow, this is provocative. We're going to have to end on that note, though. I know people are going to want to find out how they can learn more from you. Tell me about when is your next workshop and how could someone sign up? Okay, thanks. The next workshop is October 23 to 25 in the Boston area, and they can get to me through bringyourselftolove.com, which is the title of my book, and all the information will be there, bringyourselftolove.com. Great. Dr. Mona Barbera, thank you so much for being my guest and having the courage to speak so personally about your own experience. I'm grateful to you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So this is WMPG. My name is Dr. Ann. This is Safe Space. We've been talking with Dr. Mona Barbera about the legacy of divorce. If you have an idea or request, a suggestion for a future topic, please email me at drannwmpg at gmail.com. That's dr.annewmpg at gmail.com. Next week, I'll be talking with Roger Amory about his inability to quit smoking and how that has been for him. Coming up next is Money Talks with Allison.